You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. church this morning. I am so glad to be here. And as Brent mentioned last week, I was recently, as Keevan was actually testifying this morning, I was with the youth in Baja. And I wanted to be able to share just a few pictures with you and tell you the things that I saw while I was there. So here's some pictures on the screen. And here's what I saw in Baja. I watched our students worship alongside spiritual family despite a language barrier and afternoon jet lag. I saw our students step into the middle of a large refugee camp and pray for people who were exiled from their countries and being pursued by gangs and violence as they had no home anymore. I watched our students pray out loud with boldness for the first time. I saw people who were young and not so young battle through panic attacks so that their lungs could be full of air and their voices full of confidence as they witnessed and testified to the gospel of of the good news of Jesus Christ. I watched young people put others first when they thought that no one was watching. I watched our students hammer nail after nail and roll gallon after gallon of paint in the hot, blazing sun. I watched our students minister to a single mom as she expressed through tears her overwhelming gratefulness for this tiny house that we had just built for her and her six children. I could go on and on, but I want to share a final Baja moment with you. One of these uh, students from a different youth group, their life on the mission field was particularly moving to me. They came on the trip with a skin infection that I would say was only matching what we would call leprosy. It It was intense. It was overwhelming. Not only did he never complain, but he served with joy and strength in the sweltering heat that exacerbated his condition which with each passing day. In fact, by the end of the week, he was bleeding from many spots on his body as he shared the gospel of Jesus. And to me, he looked like Jesus. It was overwhelming to me. So that is mission. We just just sang about that in the songs, if if you know what we were just singing, to send us on mission, that our life is not our own. But today, we are gonna talk about holiness, and we're gonna talk about how holiness and mission can go together. It's gonna to be awesome. So if you wanna go ahead and get out your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter one, we're gonna be there in a couple minutes, and I wanted you to go ahead and have it ready. I wanna encourage you to always bring your Bible. It should be easily accessible to you every day because you're reading it every morning, right? So you just grab it off your table. So go ahead and go to 1 Peter chapter one. But I wanna tell you a story first. I wanna take you back to 1997, 25 years ago, when a young Brent Gerard was getting getting ready to marry a very young Carla Ellison. Now, if you didn't know, Brent loves music. He was on the keyboard this morning, which was quite awesome. Um, He was a vocal performance major, thanks Justice, in college. 
and also grad school, and I also love music very much. So as you can imagine, our wedding had a lot of music in it. It had too much music in it, probably. It made our wedding super long. But we had had a long time to plan out the details of our wedding, because we were engaged for the ungodly amount of time of 13 months, and we had all kinds of time to get things ready. But we wanted the music in our wedding to bring glory to God. So here's what happened in our wedding. We had Holy Ground sung as a call to worship, the processional was like a mashup of the hymns, holy, 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 and joyful, joyful, we adore thee. The recessional from our wedding was to the hymn, to God be the glory. But right in the middle of our wedding, there was this chorus that was somewhat on repeat as Brent and I um, had the chance to participate in the holy sacrament of communion. And I'm not so sure we even understood what this chorus meant at the time, just like I don't know if we all understood a few minutes ago when we asked God to set us on fire. But here's the chorus that was sung during communion in my wedding, our wedding. Purify my heart, let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart, let me be as gold, pure gold. Refiner's fire, our heart's one desire is to be holy set apart for you, Lord. We choose to be holy, ready to do your will. Take us, our master. For the last 25 years, when Brent and I have been in seasons of refining, which there have been many, we have looked at each other, remembered this chorus, and thought, man, we asked for this. We asked for it at our wedding. And then there were other times in those seasons when it was a little more heated where we'd look at each other and go, what were we thinking when we had that chorus sung in our wedding? So I just wanna take us there, remind us that when we ask and remind ourselves that we're called to be holy, we need to understand what we're asking for and what we're declaring. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter one, starting in verse 13. We're gonna skip around a little bit, but I'll make it clear where we are, and it's also gonna be on the screen. Verse 13, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers here on earth. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Verse 22. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Chapter two, verse one. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Verse nine. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. God, would you use your word this morning? Set us on fire for you, God. Refine us. 
burn away all the things that aren't of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may be wondering this morning if this is gonna be a sermon about like the do's and don'ts of the Christian life. You may be wondering if this is just gonna be like a long checklist of what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. But the answer is no. Talking about holiness goes far deeper than a checklist of allowable activities. And it's also deeper than the cheap piety that would come from thinking that holiness is just about taming our outward actions. Talking about holiness should cause us to examine how we see ourselves in light of a holy God. You see, when our kids were small, we only had three kids, now we have six, but when we only had three, one of mine and Brent's priorities in parenting was to teach them about the freedom that we have in worship. It's not just a gift to us that we have the freedom to worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but it's a command in the scripture. I grew up in a denomination where we were not allowed to worship God freely, like the Bible tells us, to lift our hands, to sing, to shout unto God with a voice of triumph, to dance before the Lord, to use all that we've been given to worship Him. So it was very important to us that our children understood what we were called to do in worship. So at times, you know, when you're just teaching your kids like self-governance, so you're teaching them and you're modeling for them how they're supposed to behave because they don't yet know how to choose it themselves, In these moments where we be in worship, I remember those young ones like tugging on my arm and going, Mom, what do we do right now? Like, do we bow our knee? Do we sing loud? Do we dance? Do we shout? And I was able to go, hey, just look at your father and do whatever he's doing. Just watch your dad and do whatever he's doing in worship. That's the same way with holiness. When we don't know what a holy action is supposed to be or all the way down to a holy motive, we should be able to look to our Father and do what He does, to look at Jesus and do what He does and how we should love our neighbor. Holy is defined as consecrated and set apart. When it comes to God being holy, He is altogether other than in His holiness. There is none like Him. There is none beside Him because He is holy and yet He calls us to be holy. He defines us as holy, actually. He tells us that it is who we are. We are to be consecrated and set apart and to be altogether other than. We are not common. We are not to blend in in this world. Someone, if you're in a group of people, someone should be saying, somebody in this group is not like the others because you should be different and peculiar and somewhat an oddball when it comes to your comparison if you're being compared to the world. So we heard from Peter In the scripture that we just read, I also wanna um, just give a few things that Paul tells us as, as he directs us when it comes to what is fitting or isn't fitting for the people of God. He tells us in Colossians to put to death all of the things that belong to our earthly nature, which are sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. We are reminded in Galatians that that returning to our once legalistic ways is sinful. Ephesians charges us to be imitators of God, to be children of light, to have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. And Philippians reminds us that the way of the Christian is the road of humility with an attitude like that of Christ Jesus and to resist pride at every turn. So if we are putting to death all of these things, 
We should obviously be bringing life to certain things, right? There are things we should be participating in. We are to live in righteousness or right living, making right choices. We are to put on forgiveness, compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience. We are to bear with one another and forgive one another. And as we heard last week, we are to love one another, as that is the perfect bond of unity. So practically, what does this look like? I made a little list. This is what holiness might look like in your life. It's not saying the thing when you really wanna say the thing. It's not responding in anger when provoked. It's not reacting when baited. It's choosing to love when everything in you wants to hate. It's standing up for the least of these when it might be easier to overlook or to move on or to turn a blind eye. It's choosing the road less traveled when everyone else is just snaking along with the crowd. It's leading when no one else follows. It's choosing Jesus when the world clamors for your attention. It's parenting with grace when you are tempted to parent in legalism or rule following. Or one of the things I've said to myself is it's choosing the long road of discipleship-driven parenting, gospel-centered parenting, instead of settling for just raising good citizens of hell. It's patiently loving your spouse through sickness when you are exhausted and tired. It's loving one another like 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to love one another, patiently, kindly, believing the best about each other, keeping short accounts. So I can see where all that I've just said could seem like a checklist, like we don't do this, this, and this, because we should do this, this, and this, but it's not. God doesn't have some checklist for us to complete so that we reach our holiness status. He has a way of living for us to walk in. Holiness is not a checklist because holiness is a state of being. It is who we are. We're declared holy and from that position, we walk things out. God is not holy because of what he does. He's holy because it is who he is. And we are not holy because of what we do. We are holy because according to 1 Peter, God says that we are holy, just as he is holy, which is just mind blowing. God is serious about holiness. I wanna draw our attention to an account in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 6. I'll let you get there if you have your Bible. If not, it's gonna be on the screen. And this is an account about a guy named Uzzah. Now, I have practiced all of these words in this scripture. So for you linguists, just be patient. Feel free to tell me after how to actually pronounce these things. All right, starting in verse 1 in 2 Samuel 6, David, that's King David, again assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000 fit young men. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal, Judah. The ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim, which are angels, they set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, 
Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence and he died there next to the ark of God. Now before I get to why Uzzah knew better and why the ark was being transported wrong anyway and nothing was being followed as according to Old Testament law, I wanna share with you a story of mine of when I reached out and touched something that I wasn't supposed to touch. Now some of you all may have heard this story before but if you haven't then Welcome to the family. You're about to hear the story of my most embarrassing moment in my life up to this point. Brent and I were uh, on a beach trip and there was a time in our life where we were obsessed with the show Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. And we were like gonna go try to find, this is from the Food Network, and we were gonna go try to find all of these restaurants you know, near where we were traveling, where Guy Fieri had decided, you know, this is worth noting on this show. So we detoured from the Panhandle in Florida and went to this little southern Alabama town, and we were going to one of the dives that Guy Fieri was recommending. Now, as we pulled up to this little tiny place, unless you're accustomed to knowing that oftentimes treasure troves of food are located in buildings that are like, don't judge the book by its cover, because what's in there is amazing, so we walk into this dive, I can't remember the name of it. It was known for a particular collection that they had like all over the walls, all around the bar, et cetera, et cetera. The restaurant wasn't too full, but the bar was full and it was fully staffed and maybe a few families were in there. So we sit down at this red and white checkered tablecloth of grease and um, Brent decides to take our two oldest boys to the bathroom and Anna and I are sitting at the table. He comes back from the bathroom and Anna and I decide to go to the bathroom. So we walk in the bathroom, it's a one-seater, like you know, you just close the door and lock it like a gas station. And it's painted like the Garden of Eden, which is kind of cool. But on the wall is a one-dimensional Adam and Eve, except for there was a three-dimensional part on the wall of Adam, it was the fig leaves that were covering his waist. And if you don't know about the fig leaves, you can read Genesis one through three, three later. But, so I'm going to the restroom and I get done, uh, I stand up, Anna sits down on the, on the toilet and she's behind me and I notice that not only are the fig leaves three-dimensional, but they're on a hinge. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, I'm gonna have to like lift up these fig leaves. Like, I've, I have to see what's under there, which is part of like my rebellion. You know, like the locked doors in every condo, hotel room, building, Biltmore House, in Asheville, all those locked doors. I always try to open those doors, always. <laughs> because I wanna know what's behind there. I mean, why can't we know? And I wanted to know what was under these fig leaves on this drawing. So I proceed, Anna's behind me, and I lift up these fig leaves. And when I tell you that the loudest alarm I've ever heard went off, it wasn't like ding, 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 ding. It was like <laughs> And not like in like a percussive, like staccato thing. It was a long sustained note of like 16 beats. And I'm like, drop the fig leaf. I don't even remember what was under the fig leaf because I was so shocked. So Anna's like, mom, did you hear that? I'm like, no. Because thus began my journey of lying and covering things up. So we, we go out back to the table and I can see that the waitress is kind of smirking at me but I sit down and Caleb's like, Mom, did you hear that noise? I'm like, what noise, what noise? And the waitress leans down and she's like, you lifted up the fig leaf, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. I lifted up that fig leaf. Now, although my account is nowhere near the weighty manner of what happened with Uzzah. Maybe you'll remember 
Don't reach out and touch things that you shouldn't. Uzzah's death was shocking to those who were around him. Uzzah knew that the Old Testament law had a lot of parameters about how the people of God were to handle the holy things of God, how they were to handle the presence of God, how they were supposed to approach the presence of God. And one of the things the law said is they were never to touch the ark because their hands were not clean. They were not supposed to approach the presence of God like that because they were impure. The ark wasn't even supposed to be um, moved on a cart. It was supposed to be suspended between long poles that men carried, but yet everything about this was off. King David was also shocked at what happened. But we are safe to assume that Uzzah's motive to catch the teeter-tottery ark was not abnormal. We can assume that he was trying to prevent the desecration of the ark if it were to hit the ground because he knew He knew how he was supposed to handle the holiness of God. Biblical scholar R.C. Sproul proposes this. Uzzah's sin wasn't in catching the ark. Uzzah's sin was assuming that his hands were more clean than the dirt of the ground. His presumption was his demise. He assumed his hands were more pure than the dust of the earth. When I read this and I heard this teaching from Sproul, I was like, gut punched, and it had me asking these questions of myself. Am I truly aware of my depravity? Am I aware of my utter sinfulness? Am I aware of who I am without Christ? Am I aware of my propensity to do all things evil? Am I so prideful to think that I have anything worthy to offer the Lord outside of Jesus? Now, answers to these questions don't come with just a flippant 10-second consideration. They come with the spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible, of studying the Bible in community, of having a habitual prayer life with the Father. These questions must be meditated upon and answered with fear and trembling before a holy God. Do we realize how serious God is about how we approach him? Do we realize how serious he is about our holiness? The good news is this. possible and impossible to walk a holy life and to live a life of holiness. It's impossible without, impossible without the Spirit of God. You see, we exist in this tension of the quote, and. Martin Luther says it this way. Now, this is a Latin phrase. I have practiced this one. And it is this, it's gonna be on the screen. Simul justus et peccator. It means at the same time just and a sinner. I'm justified and a sinner. I am holy and a sinner. I am righteous and a sinner. We will exist in this tension all of our lives here on earth. Peter reminded us in our text today that because of Jesus' blood and sacrifice, we are recipients of his inheritance and stand legally free because of what he has done on the cross. As we surrender our lives to him, admitting that we are a sinner, accepting his free gift of salvation and giving him control over every part of our lives, the Holy Spirit takes over and transforms our life. So what Peter is saying in the passage is, you were once these things, but now you are royal, you are chosen, and you are holy, so you must act like it. 
You must act like it. Our lives should look different because holiness matters. Now, I believe it is somewhat lost in this cynical, critical, individualistic, and irreverent culture. I was joking with Brent this week that I am starting to feel my age in many ways. I can hear me saying things that I used to hear the generation before me saying to me. I can hear me saying things that this generation was saying when I was a youth and they were stepping into their roles as spiritual moms and dads. And in humility, I stand here repentant for when I scoffed at them in pride. Because gosh, they were right. They were so right. There is an attitude and approach we must have towards life and godliness. And this approach must be holiness. Did you know that the Holy Spirit always does his job? Always. He doesn't go on breaks. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't do just half the work and then quit. He is always at work transforming us. And if you find yourself declaring that you are now justified, sanctified, and redeemed, but your life looks no different than before you could actually use those descriptors to describe your life, then I would ask you if you have truly received the salvation of God. And here's why. The Holy Spirit starts transforming us the moment that he draws us to bow our knee to King Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's work is 100% effective all of the time. Let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. See, Galatians tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These characteristics are to mark our life, but we aren't perfect, and we don't have to be perfect. Hence the tension that I mentioned earlier. We bear the fruit of the Spirit, and we struggle through sin, but we press forward. We are to be nonconformist in the process of being transformed to conform to Christ, and we will live in this tension forever. And yes, oftentimes it's painful. It can be painful. We are exiles, remember? We are sojourners and strangers. Peter told us this in his passage. We should not feel at home here on earth, not just because we find ourselves uncomfortable, but we're not made to conform here. If we are Christians, we are made to conform to the kingdom. And unless we are doing just that, we will be restless. We weren't made to be able to be comfortable in our sin. We're made to be able to be comfortable in Christ. Comfortable meaning settled and at peace, not necessarily physically comfortable. So how does Romans 12 flesh out? This way, do not conform, conform meaning with form, do not conform to the form or the box the world wants to put you in, but be ye transformed, I have to go into the King James and how I memorized it when I was little, be ye transformed, transform meaning meaning rising above and beyond, and we do that through renewing our mind, and how do we renew our mind? Yes, by the power of the Spirit, but through education, 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 reading our Bible, and mastering it. Social media, the news, the uh, evilness of horoscopes, the, even the best voices in your life, they will not renew your mind. We are only, our mind is only renewed by the word of God. 
And we have to read the Bible. We have to master the Bible. We have to study it in community. So we are not conforming to the world. We are being transformed by the Spirit, by the renewing of our mind, so that we can conform to Christ and fit in that box that he's given us to fit into. Anyone can be a nonconformist on the outside for some time, but this is not what the, the Christians call to nonconformity is about. It is deeper than just avoiding sinful activities of where we go, what we watch, or what we participate in. It is the deep acts of righteousness. Can we hold our tongue? Can we exhibit self-control? Can we say no when the allure of pleasure is so strong and so difficult to resist? Our nonconformity in living righteously and being who God says we are is holy. It is a conforming on the inside. It is a purifying on the inside that has its outworking on the outside. If it doesn't start on the inside, then we are in danger of living a life of hypocrisy. Holiness in our motives, thoughts, words, and actions all matter. You can't say one thing about what you believe and then act the opposite way, because that means you're a hypocrite. Unholy motives and thoughts will eventually play out in unholy words and actions. It's just a matter of time. Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say about this in Matthew 23, starting in verse 23. And this is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, to the religious of the community. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, yet you gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let's not miss the repeated warning here from Jesus. Woe to you which means great sorrow and distress be upon you. The Pharisees looked the part on the outside, but on the inside they were dead, is what the scripture tells us. Their hearts were far from God, yet the communities they were in respected them as religious leaders. Woe to those leaders who lead their followers to dead places of rule following, but not loving their neighbor correctly. Woe to them, woe to us. In our non-conforming, we must find ourselves transforming from the inside out to our true place of conforming that we know from Genesis 1. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the likeness of God. And our road to holiness should lead us to Christ-likeness, to loving our neighbor, to obeying the commands of God. So I wanna to end today by looking at a hero of the faith and how he responded when he came face to face with the holiness of God. Let's turn to Isaiah 6. 
Starting in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, two wings that covered their face, and the two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Now Isaiah was a prophet. He was accustomed to his words carrying weight and he was accustomed to his words being respected. He was accustomed to being the mouthpiece of God. He was accustomed to having an intimate relationship with God. He was accustomed to pleasing God and he was accustomed to being in the presence of kings. But when he found himself in this account, in the presence of this king, the king, the Lord Almighty, he was undone. He responded in humility, and there was an individual and corporate burden that he felt. He had seen the Lord high and lifted up, and he had observed his holy, holy, holiness. And this caused him to cower in fear and reverence he was in great distress when seeing his sin in light of God's holiness, but not only his sin, but the sin of his people. Isaiah learned this in his encounter, and this is encouragement to us today. Our holy God is also a God of grace. God did not leave Isaiah in the pain of his sin. The angel touching the hot coal to his lips was a picture of the provision that would come with the pain of the hard work of repentance. This refining done through the fire would seal the wound left by sin and lead to the healing that would concur through the act of atonement or the payment for the forgiveness of sin. And Isaiah was left with only one response, which was, here am I, send me. Can you see the foreshadowing, foreshadowing of Christ in this? He would be our once and for all sacrifice of atonement. Our sin would be too great of a burden to bear. All of humanity would corporately cry, woe is me. Our souls live in anguish and wandering in our sin when we live apart from God. But through Jesus, through his blood spilled, the penalty of our sin would be satisfied. Through his death, life, and resurrection, we who were once bowed low in fear can be bowed low in humility as we receive the gift of life and salvation through the work on the cross. When we deserve death, God gives us the free gift of eternal life through his son, Jesus. Now listen, I want us to respond today. Maybe we didn't even realize what we were singing earlier in the set list when we were singing about the holiness of God. We were singing about how in all of him that we are. But today I want us to respond. Have we done the painful work of repentance that comes with the forgiveness of sin 
and begins our commissioning as those who are sent out by God. R.C. Sproul says it this way, God appears, man quakes in terror, God forgives and heals, God sins. From brokenness to mission is the pattern for man, always. When seeing the holiness of God, Isaiah's response was this, and it must be ours as well. You, Lord of all, King of creation, ruler of the universe, holy and worthy one, you are who I will serve. Here I am in all my brokenness and unholiness and unworthiness. Take me and use me. Make me to look more like you and shape me to be your ambassador in the places you call me to. Form me into your character and deeply convict me when I disobey. Here am I, I will go wherever you send me and I will go wherever you say to go. Now, there's a difference in saying here I am and here am I. There's a difference in saying, I can offer this versus here's my life. Use it as an offering. Here I am as here I am locationally. I can offer this as here's what I have to give you. But here am I is a humble response to here am I, God. I don't know what you can do with this, but I'm yours. Take this life as an offering and a testimony of your goodness. Remember those Baja moments that I shared earlier and the pictures that were on the screen? They were holy moments to me. They were children of God pouring out Jesus all over the people of Baja because when they didn't know what to do, they said, I'm gonna do what I see my dad doing. I'm gonna do what I see Jesus doing. And I'm gonna respond and love my neighbor even though it's uncomfortable and I don't exactly know what I'm saying, but I know that God can use it. And that should be happening here in our community, that we should splash out all over the people of Ev the whole CSRA, wherever your feet go, whatever profession you find yourself in, whatever neighbor's house you walk to, whatever person that you may have passed on the street before this week, stop and talk to them, look them in the eye and say, hey, God loves you because you've said, here am I, send me. So we're gonna splash out on our community because when a holy God calls a holy people, it should be obvious and our community will be changed. For me, to know God and make him known is the cry of my heart. It's the cry of my heart. Coming face to face with the holiness of God compels me and should compel us as it compelled Isaiah to mission. The man or woman who takes an honest look and in inventory realizes that the least he or she can do is to tell the world of the love and forgiveness that he or she has found in Jesus. Yes. So I'm wondering today, now that there's a knowing, if we would be those that in our heart would say refiner's fire. Our heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. We choose to be holy, set apart for you, our master, ready to do your will. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.